Hello, church. This is Austin Rovizzini with the Coast City Church Podcast. On this podcast, you will find content ranging from extended commentary on topics we are focusing on in our sermons, biblical literacy teachings, spontaneous encouragement from Pastor Doug, and interviews with guest musicians and speakers. Our goal with this podcast is to provide you an additional resource you can access throughout your week. Our hope is that this content will deepen your relationship with Christ. We hope you enjoy. This episode begins a small commentary series I give on the content included in my Easter sermon given at the South Oceanside campus. The goal is to give you all an extended look into why certain points were included in the message and expand on a few topics that I couldn't in the sermon. When preaching a sermon, it is difficult to decide on what to leave out because the Bible is full of so many deep and applicable talking points. This is especially true when it comes to Easter and the message of Jesus' resurrection. My hope is that you find this additional commentary helpful. Easter this year was really special for us as a church because we got the opportunity to share this message in two locations. And in both locations, we were focusing on our series on peace. And so this message really was the culmination of everything that we had been teaching about uh, leading up to this point. And so in the first two points, which were peace was revealed and peace over fear, I wanted to focus on Jesus's birth and death. And reflecting back on Jesus's birth, uh, it's important to note that he was known as Emmanuel. And what Emmanuel means is God with us. And so in Jesus's birth, he reveals to us God's nature. And God's nature, according to Jesus, is one that is willing to go eventually to die uh, on the cross. So the birth of Jesus really sets the trajectory of what the resurrection eventually confirms, and that is that God is a good God and one that is good and yet all-powerful. And so when we think about you know, the definition of biblical shalom or biblical peace, we started in Genesis 1, where God is bringing order uh, out of chaos, right? This dark, formless creation becomes this beautiful, good, thriving, full of purpose uh, creation. And God eventually, you know, through the different stories we see and the way that this language is used, eventually this idea of shalom and peace is built into even the fabric of creation. And so Jesus is born in uh, to Bethlehem, you know, 2,000 years ago, but he's also born into this story that's already existing. And the story is that God made creation. He's intimately involved in this. He sets it on his way, right? And he wants that, that the hovering description, the thing that is most important above it all is that, is that there's that, this order to it. There's this peace to it. Right. And, and in that, that's where, you know, we are in a uh, healthy relationship with God. Um, we are in healthy relationship with others and we are in healthy relationship uh, with creation. And all these things are working in this like beautiful, har- harmonious um, state where, you know, there is no chaos. 
Well, obviously, this is, this is something that breaks down very quickly. And in fact, Genesis 3 in the fall, chaos is reintroduced to this order. And we see when Adam and Eve falls, it's this story about how chaos is reintroduced back into creation, which eventually becomes evil. So this evil starts to break down God's peace. And so Jesus, Jesus is born into this story when God is redeeming his peace. He's bringing it back into his creation. And so all throughout the Old Testament, we see God working with uh, Israel to bring back peace. And what he does is in Genesis, he makes a covenant with Abraham that eventually becomes Israel. And Israel was meant to bless all the other nations. And what this, you know, you can, what you can boil this down to is really they're, they're meant to bring his peace, his way, his purpose, his presence to this world. And so we see that through the prophets, they are calling the people of Israel and all of humanity back to harmony with God, back to relationship with God, back to relationship with one another. So when Moses receives the Ten Commandments, this is God's way of showing this is how you you live in shalom or peace with others, right? Follow these Ten Commandments and there'll be, you know, you'll have a harmonious relationship with me and with other people. And so Jesus comes into this story and he reveals that God is still intimately involved with this bringing order back from chaos because in Jesus, we actually see God. So in Isaiah 52, five through 10, which Isaiah 52 is an extremely part of, extremely important part of the Old Testament, we read that, we read this, And now what do I have here, declares the Lord, for my people have been taken away for nothing and those who rule them mock, declares the Lord. And all day long, my name is constantly blasphemed. Therefore, my people will know my name. Therefore, in that day, they will know that it is I who foretold it. Yes, it is I. So there, just in those verses, we see on and all day long, my name is is constantly blasphemed. Therefore, my people will know my name. And so in Jesus, God introduces himself and reveals to humanity his nature so that there's no more questions around who God is. And there's no more questions that he's still involved in fashioning peace back uh, into creation. And so when talking about the idea of peace was revealed, it just seemed like the most natural way of explaining it was saying, okay, let's focus down on Jesus's birth. Right? Jesus' birth is so important in the idea of revealing God's nature to us. And in God's nature is the desire for peace. And so peace was revealed in the birth of Jesus, Emmanuel. The next point peace over fear flows really naturally out of the first point, uh, peace was revealed. And that's because transitioning from Jesus's birth to death is very helpful when we start to talk about the power of Christ over things like fear and doubt and failure. And so we start with this idea that in Jesus's birth, peace was revealed. And now we're going to watch him overcome 
these elements of evil or chaos uh, that disrupt our lives, you know, all in hope to paint this picture of how God is intimately involved in bringing shalom and peace back to his creation. And so as Jesus's life and ministry becomes extremely popular, uh, we, we, we see more and more people coming around Christ and leading up to his final week of his life, he approaches Jerusalem uh, during the busiest time of year. And this time of year, it was Passover. And so they're celebrating Passover in Jerusalem when Jesus arrives uh, and is peering over the city. And so we pick up the story in Luke 19, 41 through 43. It states this, As he, Jesus, approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. And so it seems like Jesus is, is speaking extremely harsh words, which he is. But what's happening here is, is, is very, very interesting. Jesus is 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 coming into Jerusalem with two types of peace at play. One that he's offering and one that is that Rome is offering. And so for us in 2019, we're still faced with the same question. Do we take Jesus's peace or do we take the world's peace or 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 whatever, you know, is is sort of this pseudo peace of of the time right now in our modern time that's being offered against the Jesuses. The only way to find true, authentic peace, right, to, to be a whole person is to return to relationship with God and Jesus. And then from that, learn how to be in harmonious relationship with others and creation. And so Jesus is coming to the city and he's saying, he's, he's hurt. He's weeping over the fact that people, he know people will choose Rome's peace over Jesus's. And based off of the trajectory of Rome, these are the things that will happen, right? If you choose Rome's peace, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within their walls. He's not saying he's going to do this. He's saying that if you choose this type of peace, this is what will happen to you, right? Jesus is one that comes in with the sword of his mouth and dies on a cross. He's, a, he's offering a, a completely different way. So let me comment a little bit more about Rome. Rome was known as this extremely violent extremely powerful empire. Um, interestingly enough, the, the Passover festival was celebrating God's faithfulness to loosen the grip of the Egyptian rule for, for Israel to escape their, their oppressive grip on them. So, so they celebrate coming out of slavery under the Egyptian rule. Now, there, the, the celebration is happening under the grip of the Roman oppressive rule. Now, Rome eventually, right, it's in the Roman context that Jesus is crucified. And what that means is that Jesus is hung on a cross, right? This is probably the most known aspect of Jesus's life, that he dies on the cross. The cross was a 
public, meant to be public uh, execution technique. And, and the fact that Jesus dies on a hill is, is, is by no mistake. What Rome would do is they would have these public displays of oppressive power to keep this undercurrent of fear a part of their, their, their culture. So that if there was an uprising or if you were to challenge Rome's governing, you know, body, this would, this is the force you would be met with. And so this is just one example of many different types of oppression they had built into their system. And what's really interesting is they actually called this their peace. And so if you read extra biblical scholars commentary, commentating on Rome, They'll point to this, this Roman peace, right? It's a pseudo peace, a fake peace that kept them strong. So they would allow things like the, the, the worship of multiple gods to exist, to keep people sort of at bay, you know, and, and, and allow their, their, you know, worship of multiple gods to exist just as long as they pledged allegiance to the king. And so what the gospel writers do is really interesting. They actually portray Jesus as a king, which is true to his nature, right? Jesus talks about the kingdom of God coming near. And in a subtle way, this is a challenge directly to the rule of Rome. And so when Jesus rides in on a donkey and eventually is crucified, he's challenging the peace that is at play in Rome. He's calling it out for what it actually is. He's exposing the dirty and disgusting uh, underbelly and foundation that the Roman peace is built upon. And he's saying, look, humans, look, Israel, look, people, if you follow and buy into this way, it's going to lead to death. And it's so important to, 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 to point this out because right now the application is Jesus is offering us true, genuine peace. And at the same time, the world is offering its version of peace, but it's a, it's a, it's a half-baked pseudo-peace that will never fulfill what Jesus has uh, it, to offer. And that's because he is the creator of the universe. He knows what you need. Right? He knows how to bring peace forward. Right? Jesus doesn't come in and force peace upon people. He dies and absorbs, in his death, absorbs uh, the chaos of the world, the evil of the world, the injustice that's happening into Rome. So Rome throws all of its dirtiness on him. Right? And he absorbs this into his body and he's buried just for, for one day then, you know, three days later to be resurrected over it to show that even in death, even in death, right, which is the culmination of what, what the type of peace Rome was offering, that, that death cannot uh, overcome Jesus' peace, right? Violence can't overcome. Inequality can't overcome. Class segregation cannot overcome. All of the evil of this world that keeps us separated from one another cannot overcome, right, Jesus' peace. And, Jesus, and, and so in, in his death, we see him overcome uh, or sorry, in his death, we see him uh, declaring peace over this element of fear. And the reason that I felt like fear was, was sort of the landing point here was fear is, is, to me, one of the most interesting elements of life because fear has this mysterious way of keeping us 
from the most important things that we need in our life, right? So we need a relationship with God, right? At our deepest core level, we know and desire relationship with Jesus Christ. Yet there's some element of fear, whether that's change or doubt or failure or whatever it might be that this evil chaos that's keeping you from coming to him, right? I think at the bottom line of that, there's this, this fear, and so in his death, what he's, what he's doing is he's, he's taking all of those things upon himself. Your doubt, your failure, your, your suspicion, your, your mistrust, your, your hate of authority, right? Or whatever it might be. And he is absorbing that so that you can, you can give that to him. Because on the other side of that, he wants you to come to know him. He wants to compel you through the way he dies, the way he seeks you out to have a relationship with him. So just remember, in Jesus' death, he, he declares peace over your fear, right? Only for one day to be resurrected, to redefine what it means uh, to know him, right? That he can overcome the things that you bring to the cross, right? That he will carry that burden for you. So on that day, Jesus declared peace over fear. The next point I discuss is peace over doubt. And this is uh, the beginning of the final three points that all focus on the resurrection of Jesus. And by no mistake, peace over doubt kicks this off because the resurrection is one of those parts of Christianity that are extremely difficult to comprehend. And so I wanted to share a story in the Bible of one of Jesus's closest friends uh, doubting that he actually was, was raised. And so we read uh, Thomas's story about how he needs to actually see the nail marks in Jesus's hand and put his fingers where they were and actually put his hand on his side for him to believe. And so sure enough, Jesus shows up and allows Thomas this grit, this gift. And in this, Thomas declares, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus goes on to say, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And we come to know that it is through faith in Christ uh, that we actually are restored in relationship with him. Those, that, uh, that same section of scripture ends uh, with this. This is John 20 where we have this Thomas account, but it ends uh, like this. Uh, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. So the byproduct of believing or trusting Jesus with your life is, is, is life. And so similar to what we talked about with peace, uh, the Roman peace versus the peace that Jesus offers uh, is, is this idea of life and death. In the Bible, we're gonna, you're going to encounter trajectory a lot, right? Are you pointing your life towards death or are you pointing your life towards life, right? Eternal life. And the way that we come to experience eternal life here and now, beginning here and now, is through a relationship with Jesus. And then that continues on. Right? When we die, there's not going to be some surprise. We either are continuing on in relationship with Jesus or we're not. 
And so here, this account of Thomas is meant to encourage us as believers that although we might have doubt, Jesus will be faithful to overcome that if we continue to come uh, continue to to follow his way. And I know that in my experience, I haven't had, you know, the resurrected Jesus per se show up, you know, in my room and reveal himself to me in the same way nature. You know, Austin, put your hands on my, you know, on my scars. However, in my life, I have experienced multiple times where God has has done something miraculous. Just this past week, I talked about this and this power to give peace. And the final point, uh, when I actually gave this sermon, just this last week, my estranged stepbrother and stepdad uh, were were miraculously at the same hotel that I was at in Hawaii, and we reconciled. And it was a time of coming together, of of forgiveness, and and just really joy. And there was this deep reciting feeling of like, this is right, right? Although we have not talked for 10 years, there's something about coming together and restoring this shalom that's right. And we're tapping into the elements of creation that were built into us as human, as humans, into this universe that says, you guys being in harmonious relationship, in in a peaceful state is the right way. That is life. Right, Us continuing to be estranged from one another, that's death. And so there's all sorts of examples in this in our life. And so one of, this is, one of the ways of this is doubt. Right? There are times where I have, have doubt, I've doubted God. Right? I've doubted God you know, with the ability to you know, uh, you know, reconcile past relationships, of overcoming a disease that I have, of, you know, of, of even the resurrection, there's times where I'm like, man, how have this actually happened? But again and again, I am, he reveals himself to me in ways that compel me to continue to follow him. And the Christian journey is very difficult, right? There's going to be, you know, we deal with, with real life problems, but Jesus is faithful to continue to show up right, in our lives to, to pull us along. And so I would encourage you, if you're experiencing doubt right now, this story was meant to, you know, in, to, to say, that's okay. Like, even the disciples that Jesus had experienced doubt. And for you to acknowledge that and to be honest about that, that's okay. I think that is the beginning of God bringing you through doubt. I mean, the more I study scripture and the more I study God, the more questions I have, truthfully. But there's something that sort of overrides the doubt, right? There's this overwhelming sense of his presence, his love, his, his, his taking care of me, the evidence of, of so much of his hand in my life that I continue to put one foot in front of the, another. And so I feel like I'm far enough down the road enough to say that, that you know, Lord willing, I'll n- never, right, fully be like, hey, I'm out. But I know that in times where I feel weak or I feel doubting or I feel like I have failed God, that he will be faithful to restore me. And I know that. I've seen that in the past decade of following Christ. And so I would just encourage you, you know, if you're in a season of doubt, just to be honest with yourself and allow God to meet you there. You know, continue to show up to church, continue to turn this podcast on, continue to ask questions and press into God and he will be faithful uh, to show himself to you in some way. Um, So, uh, 
you know, in this story of Thomas, um, we see Jesus overcoming doubt. Hi, church. Thank you for tuning into the Coast City Church podcast. This was part one of a two-part series on our Easter sermon. We are honored to get the privilege to walk alongside you in your journey with Christ. We'll see you soon.